everyone. I'm Dr. Bo from Kineticast. Thanks for joining. Today we have a great guest, the CEO of Zero Shoes, Stephen Sessions. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, so um, I wanted to have uh, Stephen join us because this is something that I have utilized with multiple patients and working with um, tons of runners, tons of lifters, uh, people that just generally are on their feet daily. There's a lot of misconception on what needs to be on the foot and what people should be wearing. And I mean, you created a great brand. I, I personally buy a lot of different shoes to test them out for my patients. And as soon as I got into zero um, and spent about eight to 10 hours on the hard floors, I could see a difference in my feet. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where there are a number of products that are being sold as quote barefoot or minimalist or natural movement. And most of them are not actually delivering what they say, especially the less expensive ones. I, we had just recently someone who bought a whole bunch of things on Amazon. It's like, these were really inexpensive and I like them. And I said, hey, let me send you something just to, as a test. And he calls me and went, I had no idea. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're really thrilled that we've just developed this line. My wife has a great line. Uh, she and I co-founded the company and she says, there's enough shoe companies in the world. There's no reason to have another shoe company unless your shoes change people's lives. Lives. And happily, we hear that from people literally all day, every day, not because we're doing some magic special thing, except that it's seemingly magic and special to get out of the way and let your body do what it's built to do. Right. And that's what I tell people all the time when I see orthotics or all these different things that are supporting pronation or supination or whatever the issue is in the gait pattern. We're continually supporting something that maybe the body shouldn't be doing anyway. Why are we supporting a problem to make them feel better whenever right. it's truly about maybe fixing the causation to the problem? Well, and sometimes, uh, you know, how do, boy, where to even begin? Uh, sometimes there's just a lot of misunderstanding about what support even means. Like it can feel really good to be supported. You get in one of those zero gravity chairs, feels great. Hang out in there for a couple of weeks and you will not be able to walk for a while because, you know, put your arm in a cast, it comes out weaker, not stronger. Same thing. There's research showing what's screamingly obvious. I call some of this the dumbest research ever done because it's basically proving use it or lose it. So the research shows that if you put uh, arch support in the shoes of healthy athletes, they lose up to 17% of the muscle mass in their feet in under 12 weeks. When is weaker better than stronger? Don't answer that. The answer is never. So, and conversely, there's research showing that just walking in minimalist shoes like ours builds foot muscle strength as much as doing an actual foot exercise program. Again, why do we have to prove use it or lose it? But we do because we've had 50 years of people who make shoes that look like this, yep. you know, doing just basically propaganda saying you need padding, you need art sport, you need motion control, you need all these things that demonstrably cause problems. And here's the kicker. I've talked to people in the, the executive suites of all these multi-billion dollar footwear brands. They all know that what we're doing with natural movement is legit. They've literally said to me almost verbatim, each one, yeah, we can't do that because it would be admitting that what we've been saying for the last 50 years is a lie. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I've definitely recommended different shoes to different patients. And that's something that um, I think is very important, obviously, like what's on your feet is going to change your biomechanics above. And if you're on your feet all the time, you're an athlete working out, or you just work a lot, like it, it does matter. And there's a shoe that I, I'm not going to say any names, but I did recommend and they got very big and they got very, uh, they've got very large into fitness. And all of a sudden they changed what they were doing. And they changed what the bottom of the shoe looked like. They added more padding. They added more heel lift. And as soon as that happened, I had patients that were buying shoes saying, Bo, you told me to get this shoe. Yeah. And I, I had to apologize and say, that is not what I wanted you to get. And then I had to start searching again. 
It's one of the, I, I know who you're talking about. Um, <laughs> in fact, the founders are friends of mine um, and they, they are sort of uh, beside themselves with what's happened to their brand since it got acquired by a big company. And, you know, we've been approached by big companies and, and they come in and they often say, well, I think you should really do it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you know, just so you know, almost half of our sales are from existing customers who are buying two, three, four, some, I mean, literally, I know one guy who has 50 pairs of our shoes. Wow. I know a family that has a hundred pairs of our shoes. And I said, so here's the thing. If you change one bit of the DNA of our shoe, you will lose half of your business instantly and you'll lose the other, another quarter of what's left or another half of what's left pretty quickly because the word's going to, going to spread. And so, and they go, but I go, Oh no, no, uh, we're done with the conversation. Right. And it's frustrating to me as a practitioner for someone that's trying to, I'm getting paid for my time to help someone. And what I do in the clinic is identify causation to issues versus focusing on a symptom and utilizing the technology I utilize doing gait analysis and biomechanics all the time. I'm saying, get out of those shoes. These shoes are a problem. And um, the the thing is, if I give someone a shoe that I trust and I've trusted that brand and I've trusted them for a while and they make a switch on me, then I look like a worse practitioner because I recommended a shoe that's actually creating more problems now. Here's a weird variation to that. Um, There's an event that a couple of very big deal footwear and biomechanics researchers do every year, and it's all open to physical therapists. And um, they they just do amazing presentations about how regular shoes cause problems and getting out of those shoes and into something like ours can solve those along with a little bit of gait retraining and, you know, paying attention to some other, other factors that are not a huge piece of the puzzle, frankly. And I said to one of the people running this event, why is it that after you do these amazing presentations that should make everyone run out of the room and tackle me and ask for my shoes, only half the people do that. And out of that half, only half of them actually follow through. And it's typically the younger physical therapists who haven't established themselves fully. And they said, well, I don't know. Why do you think it is? I said, well, two reasons. One is you can't just give people data. That doesn't change their minds. As we've learned in the last couple of years, you can't just give people facts and have them change their mind. It's not the way human beings work. But the second thing is these people have built an identity and a career. Well, actually, there's three things. The second one is the shoes that they're wearing and the shoes they recommend, they think they made a rational choice to pick those shoes, even though they are, if you really press them, you'll find that they picked those shoes because some young kid at a shoe store who's repeating what the big shoe company told him to say, convinced them to buy that shoe, or it just became really popular. So they assumed they needed that one. But then the biggest one is that their identity is now wrapped up with what they've been telling their patients. If they came in and said, you know, I've been recommending these shoes with big, thick, tons of padding, and I just found out that's really bad for you and needed to do the opposite, it, it erodes the trust that the patient has in them. Even if they give them something that ultimately turns out to be better, you know, they're afraid that it's going to just, their self-image is going to have some problems and that's going to hurt their practice. It's not the case. I've never met anyone who went from referring, you know, a, a reg, quote, normal shoe, a regular familiar shoe to referring something like what we do. I've never heard anyone have a bad experience doing that, but people are worried that they might have that. And so they don't make that choice either. Now, the good news is ideas like this, the way they catch on, they build, they build, they build. And at a certain point, you hit a critical mass where enough people have made the change, have had that positive experience where the original doubters and naysayers go, all right, just let me just give it a shot. And then they go, oh crap, I had no idea. Um, and that's when things you know, you know, really grow exponentially. 
Well, and I think like, you made multiple good points there. The uh, I, I want to hit on, I think, all of them. Uh, <laughs> I, the, I'm going to go have some lunch then. Knock yourself out. Yeah, no, I'll be quick. The uh, the one on the, uh, the shoe store, definitely. I mean, I worked with the shoe store when we first opened, and I think they're great. And I'm not saying that they do anything like where they're trying to hurt people, but whenever you're consistently putting someone in to support the issue, like the pronation, the supination, whatever it is, you're feeding the problem. And uh, I don't know why I have this low back issue or my hip issue and I just can't get it figured out, but you continue to run with that supination and you're supported in it. So you know that force is being transferred up the, up the chain. And that's, that's just like, I consistently see that. And then whenever we talked about the shoe company that I was utilizing, um, whenever they're, we're getting good, good results from it. I had no problem telling my patients to switch to a zero, even and they're just to tell you they're a little scared of the switch switching to a zero. I know. I, I, I don't get it. Well, you know what's funny? That company that we're not naming, um, <laughs> the, the founders used to say to me, "We think that we're a gateway to you," and I say, "Then why don't you put some ads in your boxes for my product?" Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yep. They would. Yeah, they they couldn't quite go there. They're you know, not gonna to, do that. Well, no, and back to the shoe store thing. It's really, really interesting um, that, well, actually, there's two points that are based on what you just said. So one is the whole idea of support, or actually, sorry, the whole idea about what problems exist. Pronation is demonstrably not a problem if you're in a shoe that allows your foot to move naturally. And in fact, even if you're not, the, there's a, a researcher named Simon Bartold who used to be all anti-pronation. You gotta, everyone's got to be in orthotics. You need to have a lot of our support. And then he changed his mind because all the research does not show a direct link between pronation and any problem. FYI. So that's part number one, where there's some problems that are not even problems, but they've been sold as problems because someone came up with a quote unquote solution that they could make money with. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, so here's a company that I will name Nike. They did a study that came out a couple of years ago on a new shoe they developed. It was the React Infinity versus their best selling padded arch supporting motion control, elevated heel, flared sole shoe with a big pointy toe that squeezes your toes for some reason. Don't ask me why. Uh, and the Zoom Structure 22. So the results came out and they published the study by saying the new shoe reduced injury rates by 52%. Well, it did until you look at the numbers. Uh, so in the Zoom structure, their best-selling shoe, over 30% of the people got injured in a 12-week study. And in the new shoe, only 15% did. So it's like one out of three versus one out of seven. So imagine going into a shoe store saying, I'm looking for a good running shoe. And they go, here's a shoe that's proven to injure one out of three people within 12 weeks. Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't want that. Okay, here's one that's only gonna injure one out of seven people in 12 weeks. No, no, don't you have one that's actually good for me? Oh yeah, we don't do that here. <laughs> that's not that's not going to be the the route they go. Again, you talked about like hurting the brand that you've created, also, which is a lot of people will focus on that side. But whenever at me as a practitioner, it doesn't hurt me as a as a clinician. It doesn't hurt the brand for me to say, hey, that shoe changed. That shoe's not great. Here's a better option. That makes me look better to say I made I may have made a mistake referring you this because I didn't understand the changes that were made into this shoe, but here's a better option that I found for you. Yeah, well, you know the fact that you've learned something and it proves to be valuable is helpful. Um, this is why one of the guys that I mentioned was fifty pairs of our shoes. He bought 50 pairs just in case anything changed because he was so used to that happening right. with other brands. And I said, oh, trust me, that's not going to change because, you know, sleeping on a memory foam mattress feels great. So people go, oh, I'm stepping on a memory foam mattress. That feels good. 
or memory foam insole or, you know, big, thick padded shoe that feels really good, but that doesn't mean it's good for you. I mean, there's lots of foods that we love to eat that taste great, but aren't good for you. It's the same thing with feet, but this is a really interesting one. So what happens when you have a bunch of padding is uh, it basically makes it so that the mechanoreceptors, the things that are trying to feel things in your feet, they don't feel the pressure, but the force doesn't change. So you're not feeling it in your feet, which is the place where it's going to tell your brain how to react immediately. But what happens is all the force goes straight up into the rest of your body, especially if you're landing on your heel with your foot out in front of you, you don't feel it as much in your feet, but the force goes right into your knees. So that's, if you want to take an animal and do a study on uh, knee osteoarthritis, you need to give the animal arthritis. Well, they basically do what I just described. They essentially straighten its leg and just hit the bottom of its heel over and over, which sends force into its knee joint and creates arthritis. And if they want to then test the intervention, some drug or some surgery against what the animal would do naturally, the way they get rid of the arthritis, they just stop hitting its damn knee or hitting his damn heel. And there's a research on this um, from Brazil where they took elderly women over 65 and older and put them in a minimalist shoe that had you know, no padding and just said, walk around in these for hopefully at least six hours a day. And in the course of six months, their knee osteoarthritis went away. Yep. So, and they were using their muscles, ligaments, and tendons properly, which provided springs and shock absorbers and joint protection. And they got stronger. And some of these women who had been, had issues walking for years started running 5Ks because they could move again. Yep. And so, you know, again, it's, there's so many things like the idea that pronation is a problem, the idea that you need art support, the idea that you need this cushioning. I mean, it's all just made up by footwear brands. And there's, I've been on panel discussions against, you know, Brooks, Adidas, et cetera. And the only question that I ask them over and over and over, whenever they talk about some magic new feature, I say, so where's your proof? Right. Show me how that reduces injury or improves performance. And it's deadly silent after that. Yep. <laughs> and they, then they say to me, well, where's your proof? I go, oh, wait, hold on. We're not the intervention. For the entire history of human beings, since there have been human beings, footwear looked like what we're doing. Something to protect your foot, something to hold that protection on your foot, maybe a little bit of insulation, maybe slightly different traction, you know, depending on where you live. You're the intervention. So, but that said, here's 300 studies showing that natural movement and letting your body do what's natural is better for you, demonstrably. So where's yours? And they've got nothing. Well, and you, you talked about how the uh, the data doesn't change as many as many minds, but I think that this because it's not as personalized to the individual versus whenever I have someone come in and do a 3D gate analysis and I say, look at how you run in these shoes, now take your shoes off and run. And right. I show them how their hips completely stabilize, no more rotation tilting and their knees aren't valgus. Right. Well, I'm going to argue that that's not data, that's experience. So, and this is the thing, this is the way around the data problem okay. is that you have to get people to experience something that conflicts with what they believe. And if they then have that experience, that's going to be more powerful than the belief or, and if they can't have a direct experience, you can remind them of things. So um, I like that. One of my favorites, I go, so uh, if your feet don't feel great at the end of the day, I want you to think about babies when they're learning how to walk. Would you take a baby when they're trying to figure out how to use their feet and use their brain and bounce their body and put something under their foot that is stiff. So their foot can't move and thick. So they can't feel and elevates their heel and changes their posture and squeezes their toes together so they can't move them properly? Of course you wouldn't. Well, then right. why are you doing that to you every day in the shoe that you're wearing? We make something that does, the, does just like what babies do. It lets your feet move naturally so you can move better. And people go, oh. So you got to get that, oh, that curiosity. 
And then from there, there's a conversation. Yeah. It's an, honestly, it's super easy to tell someone, look, your one hip is 4.5 degrees higher. Every time that you run, you take this stride. So take your shoes off and all of a sudden it's at one degree, much easier to comprehend. Oh yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, you know, the experience is the thing. And then, yeah. you know, if you're giving them the actual numerical information that backs up what they're feeling, then they feel even better because now they have science. Yes. And numbers. And if I can show you a number that drops and all of a sudden yeah, I need yeah. to, be a, you know, that if one hip is 4.5 degrees higher, it probably shouldn't be there and you shouldn't be running 24 miles on that. So, and a, and a patient experience for you, that's really, really good for y'all is I have a guy who, uh, had Achilles tendinopathy that he's had it for 15 years. He's from him and his friend are from South Africa. His friend is a professional runner from South Africa and they had the same numbers, but he went into a job where he became a professional. So he just does this for fun now. Well, he has Achilles tendinopathy for 15 years, ends up tearing his hamstring off of the ischial tube, has a hamstring surgery, and then still has his Achilles pain. And he's limping into my office and I'm taking him through and I'm going, going, going. And I'm looking at his shoes and I go, man, you're feeding your problem over and over again. And he's like, well, I don't know that because of, because of my posterior line pathway, I don't want to lengthen it with a neutral shoe. I need my heel lift. And I'm telling him how he's feeding this problem over and over. Well, he just switched to a pair of zeros. Um, I think it was the HFS. I'm not sure, but he switched to, uh, yep. <laughs> um, actually, I just got that exact pair right there. Um, <laughs> just today, I was on the way. I was like, I'm going to grab me another pair. So those will go good with my joggers. But um, he got himself a new pair of shoes from y'all. And he walks into my office at zero pain and says, man, my feet feel free. And yeah. I was like, well, why would they not feel free? And he loves them. I've been trying to come up with the right metaphor or the right analogy, and maybe you or someone listening will come up with it about um, where we confuse the cause of a problem with the, well, here, I'll, I'll do it this way. And then you, I'll figure tell you the metaphor I can't figure out. Many people will say things like, oh, I switched to a barefoot or a minimal shoe and I got Achilles problems. It's like, no, no, no. You got the Achilles problem from wearing the higher heeled shoe that made it so that you, that your brain got used to not using your Achilles properly. That's the problem. Okay. This is not a problem. This is what human beings have been doing for millennia. So I can't figure out how to uh, another analogy that will make people go, oh, for where a problem is caused by some current intervention, but then the problem is then blamed on the, the subsequent thing. And I mean, I, even when I watch people, so we talk about foot strike a lot about how you're supposed to land. And it's not about whether you land on your heel, whether you land midfoot or the ball of your foot, it's where your foot lands in relation to the center of mass. And of course, if you land with your foot closer to the center of mass, it's pretty much impossible to land on your heel, which, oh, by the way, is better for you. But ignoring that for a moment, um, I watch people who actually run well with proper form. They're getting their feet underneath their body nicely, and they're wearing shoes, with big, thick heels, and they're not using the Achilles which is the biggest spring in your body to make running more efficient because they can't get their Achilles all the way stretched because of the heel getting in the way. And then when they try something that lets their Achilles actually work properly, they go, oh, oh, oh. It's like, well, this is kind of like, again, like having your arm in a cast. When you take your arm out, just straightening it the first couple of times is painful because you haven't done it for a while, but you're not creating an injury. You're just getting it back to normal. 
And in a situation like a cast on your arm, that all makes sense to people. Maybe this is the analogy. That all makes sense to people. But when it comes to footwear, they somehow think it's crazily different. Or the fact, and you know, you mentioned people want their individual thing and you can give them that. Um, and that's the actual problem that we run into when we just try to show that what we're doing is inherently different or better. You can sell, you can show a million people who've gotten benefits from wearing a minimalist shoe. And that other person is just by, from looking at it without having the experience will go, yeah, but I'm a special little snowflake. And that million, those million people are different than me. Right. I need our support. I need motion control. I have one leg that's a half a millimeter longer than another leg. And a doctor told me that. And that's my all-time favorite. My, you know, my leg... My leg is, is two millimeters shorter and a doctor confirmed that. They always have to tell me the doctor confirmed that. And I, and I say, I've sometimes said to people when I'm in a particularly obnoxious mood, I go, um, if you can raise or lower your body by exactly two millimeters, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Just try it. It's well, kind of like, sorry, it's kind of like um, people we've had who are, who are ultralight backpackers and they go, well, you know, I can't handle that product because it weighs 20 grams more than this other thing I'm wearing. I said the same thing. I said, we're going to pack two identical bags and one's going to be 20 grams heavier than the other. I'll give you a thousand dollars if you can tell me which is which. Yeah. Well, and uh, what you're saying about the shoe, like, uh, again, my reference to why I, why I'm getting more and more people into the zero shoe or patience is because I said, I, like you said, when we're born, we aren't born in shoes. We aren't born anything. I said, when you were born, do you think you were meant to walk on your feet or do you think you were meant to walk on an orthotic? And they immediately say, well, obviously my feet. I said, great. So let's get you back to that. So right. when it comes to the shoe, the shoe, this shoe should be universal for a yeah. human. And yeah. for someone that has a damaged, whatever, knee, hip, low back, whatever it is, we correct those problems above it, but the shoe should not be feeding it. The shoe should be supporting the process. Yeah. Of, it, of them working on that. So for me, I get someone that is normally meniscus tear, hip degeneration, these different areas. And then we do specific pattern work to that's individualized to them and then get them into a zero. And that I had, yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm a former All-American gymnast that ended when I was 32, 33, I landed and twisted at the same time and heard this sound coming from my knee. I went, oh, when we're done. And so, you know, I've got half my meniscus left in my right leg or my right knee. And when I was running in regular shoes, when I got back into sprinting, when I was 45, um, it was really painful. And when I got out of those shoes, I have no issue. And so all the muscles and ligaments and tendons around my knee are working well enough that I don't notice that I've got half my meniscus. Yep. And I, so I, I injured my knee. I was a basketball player. So I do what I do now because I lost a division one scholarship when I was in high school due to an injury. And then I broke my right ankle a total of four times afterwards. I was in a Nike shop basketball shoe when I first did it. And there was multiple people that uh, created lawsuits for the amount of ankle injuries that had come from this basketball shoe, which I didn't know about at the time, but I injured, pushed bad nutrition, bad sleep, bad, all of it, just pushing, 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 kept getting hurt. So it got me to this whole biomechanical identify causation to things versus I just focusing on symptom and teaching people what their causation is. Well, for me, I was playing intramural softball in, in chiropractic school and I slid into second base and tore my meniscus and my MCL and stood up and I was like holding my head like, oh my God, I tore that really bad. And then everyone's like, Bo, you're out. So I had to run from second base back. <laughs> 
dugout and, and I'm a man, right? So I get back. To, How are you feeling? I'm fine. No worries. Nine months later, I'm still not fine, but um, I clean it up and I get everything. And so all the time I hear from patients, look, I have knee degeneration. I have arthritis. I have meniscus tears, bone spurring, blah, blah, blah. And there's, I've got so many people that are running 50 Ks, trail races, yeah. everything you can imagine with no pain. And they're yeah. telling me I can't wear a zero bow because there's no padding for me. There's not my support. And I say, look, if I'm running on two degenerated ankles, I already have a degeneration in both my ankles and I have my meniscus torn with no MCL and a labral tear in my hip. And I'm running in zero shoes on concrete for five to seven miles. And it's 104 in Texas. And I'm out here running on that. And I have zero pain afterwards. You need to be running in the same shoe and you need to be moving toward this shoe. And if you're scared of it, then slowly move toward it. But your goal is to get in it. Yeah, it's the it's the slow transition that's the critical thing. And and look, I say to people, there's there's a time and a place for everything. You know, if you're if you're running a hundred mile ultra, um, at a certain point, you're just going to have to do whatever it takes to finish. And if that means putting on stilts and wearing uh, you know a hat with a propeller on the top. I don't care. Do what you need to do. It's sort of like when people say, well, you know, this particular athlete is wearing this other shoe. I go, first of all, he's sponsored. Secondly, he's trying to make enough money during his career to pay for his entire village, most likely. And third, you're not a 105 pound Kenyan running at 26 mile race at 13 miles an hour. So what do you care what he's doing? And I mean, there's, you know, there's a, um, I think he was an 800 meter runner. I'm not going to mention his name, uh, multiple time Olympian who now can't run. He's become a bodybuilder because he couldn't run. And everyone's like, oh, look, he's in, in great shape. The guy can't run anymore. He had a successful career and it killed him. And so why are you trying to emulate that guy? Uh, and besides the shoe that those guys, people are wearing, you can't buy those anyway. They're made just for them. So it's it looks like what you're buying, but it ain't what you're buying. I mean, th- look, I got to tell you, um, people ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I say, there's two reasons. One again is the fact that we keep hearing that we're from people saying this changed my life. And the other is having discovered how morally reprehensible the footwear industry has been. I find it unacceptable when people lie to their customers in order to make money. And these people know they are lying and they've known it for a long time. And um, I, I'm trying to pull the rug out from underneath that. Someone says, well, what would happen if you know one of those big companies just copied what you're doing? I went, great, then we won. Yeah. We're just trying to make people healthier and happier. And if they realize that that's what's doing it and they know, then we won. I'm not trying to be the richest man in the universe. I'm not trying to be someone who has to walk down the street with a bodyguard. You know, I'd like to have a happy life like everybody else. I just want to change the world and make it easier for them. Yeah. And I, I mean, that you nailed it. I was definitely going to ask you that question. So thank you for jumping that one and getting on the answer for me. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you're right, man. Like what, why do we do what we do? The people that help the most people are doing it not for money. They're trying to provide quality to each individual that they work with. And it doesn't matter. Like you try to get to as many people as you can because what you offer is quality. But yeah. it's, it's about helping each one person that comes through. And I, and I wish, to be candid, I wish that we could help everyone 
but you know, foot shape and function is a broad spectrum. We've got some people who feet are practically square and they go, why can't I wear your shoes? I went, have you ever found any shoe you could wear? They go, no, I go, well, we're not there. Um, or the exact opposite people who have feet that are really, really, really narrow. It's like, there's, there's a bell curve. There's a spectrum for these things. And we, you know, we try to cover as much of that curve as we can, but we can't help everybody. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a point you made earlier that I want to come back to, and I wish I could remember what the point was. So this wouldn't seem like it's coming out of nowhere, but I was in the lab with Dr. Bill Sands, who was the former head of biomechanics and engineering for the U S Olympic committee. And what Bill would do when he, when he brought runners into his lab and he was at what's now Colorado Mesa university, which had a really good uh, middle distance and distance track team. And not a lot of sprinters here in Colorado, by the way. And so, uh, although there are a few that have come out of here are really good, but not very many of us. So anyway, what he would do is he'd put them on this giant treadmill that he had. It was like five feet wide, 10 feet long. could go up to like 30 something miles an hour. He puts you in a mission impossible harness in case you trip and fall. You're not going to face plant, which the first thing he has you do is try to trip and fall. So you see that you're just hovering through yeah. your time expression, which is really fun. Um, anyway, then he films you at 500 frames a second from the side and from the back and looks at you in every shoe that you actually your favorite shoe first, then barefoot second. And 90% of the people have instantly better form when they just go barefoot. And then every other shoe that you possibly wear. And what you see in most people is that their gait changes in every shoe that they're wearing and they don't know it. And as the shoe breaks down, it changes even more and they don't notice it. So this is the thing that was really interesting to see. Now, really good, like 400 meter runners and sprinters, you could put bricks on their feet and nothing changed. Um, but that's a whole unusual set of, you know, part of the universe, but it's the not knowing it. We even had one guy, very accomplished barefoot runner, but spent most of his time in five fingers. And when he was barefoot, beautiful form. I mean, just like impeccable. And when he put on the five fingers overstriding and heel striking, and again, didn't know that he did it. He watched the video. And for the first 10 minutes, he goes, but that, that can't be me. It's like, dude, it's a videotape of <laughs> made it right here. Um, he was just shocked. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that whenever you're breaking down that, like that's that's the key, right? Like you're seeing how people change in each different shoe and each thing, like the Vibrams that are supposed to be very minimalist shoes. This guy's running completely different in a Vibram. Um, I mean, you don't have to go into the specifics of the difference there, but well, the specific, I can tell you, it's actually, ironically, it's when they decided to make a, a, a five-finger shoe specifically for running, they put more padding in it. So he couldn't feel that that's what he was doing. He wasn't getting the feedback that was telling his body how to move correctly. Yeah. And again, when you go into like really, really high level runners are going to know, um, well, generally should know a little bit of difference, but when I'm working with a community of population of runners that are, um, run, prefer to run marathons, just going out and run they again, always go back to the padding and the padding and the padding and the padding. And yeah. I hear it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear it. And like, I know my heel is going to hurt. And I'm like, my question immediately is, why are you landing on your heel? Like, <laughs> right. That doesn't well, make you know, sense. A, a line that we that we uh, used to use when we were talking about our sandals, it's the perfect recovery sandal that you just ran a marathon in. So, <laughs> you know, active recovery is critical. And look, so I don't know, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not. I say it so many times, I, I forget. Um, so I did. So, you know, the research showing, actually, wait, no, I didn't. I don't know. Anyway, research showing that uh, runners who just do an eight-week foot strengthening program had a 250% lower chance of injury over the course of a year running in regular shoes. Okay. I say to people, look, do whatever you want, but if getting stronger is helpful and you can get stronger just by walking in shoes like this, just for active recovery and for building strength, run in whatever you want, wear these for everything else. Yep. And I know 
it's my secret sauce here. I know that one day they're going to have to run across the street or run to the mailbox and they're going to go, huh? And then it's all over now, but to your point, you need to make that transition appropriately. And I don't want to just say slowly because it's different for every person. Some people are just better at picking up new movement patterns. Some people they've been denying their brain, the feedback that it needs for so long that the brain has literally changed its shape and isn't getting that information. And it takes a little while for the brain to wake up by giving it some of that feedback and it's wired to wake up again. So that's the good news. So it's just a matter of listening. It's just a matter of awareness, the mindfulness you mentioned before to let yourself make that transition in a way that feels appropriate. It's similar. This is going to sound weird. Back in the days when I used to get injured as a sprinter, um, which just doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, I was running Monday, just jogging around the office and um, I felt like a little twang in my calf and just this one sort of piece of somewhere in that soleus. And um, the only thing I do now, I wait until I'm fearless. That's my thing. So the next day it felt pretty good. I worked on it that night, felt pretty good. I went, let's just give it a day. I'm still a little nervous that if I even try to run, it might you know, act up a little bit. The next day, the third day, uh, I, went, ah, I feel fearless. Let's see how it goes. And I was totally fine. So I've learned that for me, fearlessness is the sign that everything's fine. And that happened, that was the, the same way when I was getting injured, but I was just getting injured so often, I really got that feeling. And now I get injured so infrequently that I rarely get that feeling. Love it. I'm the same. I'm not getting hurt anymore. And it's a lot more fun when you're not uh, on the sideline all the time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I vividly remember the day as a sprinter where I became unafraid of going out full speed. And, and I did something recently that um, totally shocked me. Uh, I got a dog. So my wife and I have our first dog and this dog likes to run. And so, and when we just got him, it was the one command. If I said run, he'd go. And so I had him on a leash and I discovered that I can run without a warm up full speed or overspeed, because this dog is faster than me, um, at 6 a.m. News to me, changed my life. And ironically, uh, or maybe coincidentally, I'm starting to work with a coach who his basic premise about sprinters is uh, don't warm up. Just you know, do a couple of mobility drills. But if you're a real sprinter, you're ready to go. So just go, rest, repeat, go home. <laughs> and um, I'm so looking forward to working with this guy because that's the way sprinters think, but it's not the way almost anyone coaches. No, not at all. And um, it's funny that you said you just did something with your body differently. I mean, I've been in my zeros for a little while and I train in them and I run in them and I lift in them and everything. I'm standing under the basketball. I'm, a, I'm a, only 6'3", so I'm not super tall, but I'm standing on the basketball goal and I dunked off a vertical without taking a step. But the strength that is in my lower legs and feet has definitely changed. And I have, I don't remember doing that ever. Now I could dunk before in the past, but I'm not, I shouldn't be dunking harder as I age <laughs> and well, I jumped up and did it. And I was like, Whoa, that was different. Yeah. Well, you know, there are a couple of things. Um, one is that when people think about playing basketball in our shoes, they go, but I'm an inch shorter. And first of all, when you say I'm only six, three, dude, I'm five, five, shut up. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, no, it's, it's actually fun because um, when I, when I'm at the line with a bunch of other sprinters, I'm by far the shortest guy there. And everyone looks at me like, what's he doing here? And then I beat them all. And they're like, what the hell just happened? So that's pretty <laughs> fun. Uh, 
Now that doesn't happen at nationals, but it happens at a lot of regional meets. So anyway, um, when people say, well, I'm, I'm shorter, it's like, okay, that may impact you a tiny, probably unnoticeable bit when you're on defense. Um, but in terms of jumping, you're going to find you have more power because it's not getting sucked up by the foam. And then as your legs get stronger, you're going to find that you're jumping higher and you're not going to know how or why. And this is how or why you're not losing the energy more. Uh, and and your, your body position is going to be more effective and you're going to be stronger. It's simple. Yes, 100%. And uh, to the first, so I've got two more stories here. The first time I actually ran in these shoes for, I went for a five mile jog just to feel it out. And I went on concrete because I don't want anybody to tell me, like, hey, I can't run these shoes on concrete. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure I was testing it for my patients. But um, I felt muscles in my feet work that I have been trying to activate with different exercises, rehab techniques, and different things. I felt them work because yeah. of the shoe. You can, you know, I'm not going to negate or discount the importance of certain exercises right. and I'm not going to discount the importance of walking, but there's no substitute for running. You can do, you know, all the prep that you do with exercises and walking are not the same as running. Right. important to do them, but running is a different story. And to your point, um, we have a slip resistant shoe we've made for like hospital workers, restaurant workers. And I brought a pair over to uh, the owner of a local restaurant and he put them on and he's walking for like a minute. He goes, oh my, I can feel my arches starting to work. He'd never felt that before. And he had crazy flat feet. He's like, this is really interesting. I said, you're going to be tired tomorrow because it's like you went to the gym. Think of it like going to the gym. Yep. Give yourself an hour. See how you feel the next day. When you feel fine, give yourself an hour and a few more minutes. You know, it's like build it up based on how you're feeling. But yeah, it's like when you can, when, first, when you can feel your toes spread instead of getting squeezed together, when you feel something really lightweight, which these are, and then when you feel your muscles actually working, it's just a whole different game. And then you try putting on a normal, quote, normal shoe. And it's like, oh no, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, those aren't normal shoes anymore. Um, so the I think the big thing um, too is I have a 280 pound guy who is a he does functional lifting, but it's um, just different variations of heavy load. And yeah. he was he was a little nervous about the zero shoe, and he owns a tattoo shop in the area. Um, so we work together quite a bit. He's a good guy, but he's huge and he's very like tattoo mindset. Like he's gonna say everything. And you, I close my doors in the clinic. Like there's kids outside, and I like make sure that he he's maintained. But um, he, he, he was like, well, I'm a little nervous about going. I said, man, look, like I've been in this shoe and I've tested it with lifting. I've tested it with running. I've tested it with basketball. I've tested it with eight to 12 hour days in the clinic, back to back to back. I said, you need to try this shoe and tell me what you think. And he got the 360, which you guys don't make in a 12 and a half. And I told him I would say that. Oh, I, uh, I think we might've just sold out of it actually. Okay. Well, I can't get a 360 at 12 and a half and I've been trying. So, um, but anyway, he's got the 360 and he's lifting in it and he comes back into my clinic and says, uh, Bo, my feet feel like I can do more things. I no longer have the knee pain from my surgery. And he said, I don't want to wear any other shoe. Went back, bought another pair of shoes for himself, bought two for his wife. And now he says, I can't even wear my other shoes anymore. And this is a 280 pound lifter that yeah. everyone tells me, oh, body weight and all these different things all the time. 280 pounds who puts 300 pounds on his back to do step ups and mess around with stuff. And he does more than that, but he's just messing around with that. And yeah. he comes in here and tells me, I can't even wear my other shoes. And he was in, he was trying all sorts of shoes. He tried everything. We've got a lot of lifters and power lifters. Um, uh, so Ollie, Limper, Ollie lifters and power lifters who uh, swear by our shoes. My favorite was one of the first power lifters who emailed me. He says, I just set a PR on the bench. Like, 
oh, of course. I mean, benching starts with your feet. Foot drive, yeah. Able to really, you know, get his toes engaged. But that cracked me up that that was his first one. Is like I sat up here on the bench with your shoes. We were at an event recently, um, like a consumer-facing fitness event, and this woman comes over. She was a powerlifter, tries on our shoes, loves them, walks over, sets a PR on the deadlift. I mean, like immediately. <laughs> I mean, think about why, right? Like uh, muscles that are contracted or shortened can't contract farther, right? So we get them in a neutral shoe and then they utilize their own body for the lift. All of a sudden the lifts get better. And there's a a whole idea. I'm not sure how much I believe it. So I'm going to say this and, you know, either you believe it or don't. Other people might have the same feeling, but this idea of irradiating, like if you tense up your hand, if you squeeze your hand tight, that can make your biceps stronger. That's sort of the, the basic premise. It's a Pavel Satsulin thing. And um, if that's true, then actually being able to engage your feet more could work all the way up the posterior chain. I mean, my theory on it would be that the nerves that are firing that feed below the chain are firing through it as well. So you're building more through that, but it all depends, his, right? Yeah, that's his irradiated idea, basically. Okay. You reminded me, we, had a, a, uh, we have a WNBA player who reached out to us about making a basketball shoe. And she said, because I've been wearing your sandals when I'm off the court and my feet have become indestructible. And, and then we had a basketball shoe that we've been working on and we sent a, a sample to her and it's not her size quite, uh, we're getting there. Um, not quite her size. Um, but she said, I, you know, I can't play in them because it needs a couple of things that are a little different for me, but I couldn't sprain my ankle in these if you paid me to. And so um, I, here, I'll, I'll tell you the basketball thing. We got a bunch of basketball players uh, who are like you used to play um, either seriously or even some professionally. And they're really interested in working on this with us. There's certain sports that we know we can really help with, but we can't do it until we have some players who have enough credibility to justify us getting in that world. Because typically, you know, a company like ours, we go, Hey, here's a basketball shoe. It's like, well, who the hell are you? Hey, here's a golf shoe. Who are you? Um, so we have to get the who's to be the RU's. Yep. No, that's, and I think that's great. And I think that's a missing piece. What I was thinking about earlier that I was going to say, and then you said that it brought me right to it. These basketball players in their shoes, they're all wearing Crocs. They're all putting Crocs on their feet and they're wearing them afterwards. And every kid that walks in here from AAU rolls in and Crocs is like, Bo, I feel like I'm not jumping very high and I've got this knee pain and back pain. I'm like, get out of the damn Crocs. Like you're, you're short. It used to be Nike slides. Whenever I was playing, that was the cool shoe that we would wear. Now it's Crocs. And then I got a Morton's Neuroma created in Crocs in my foot. And the only time I ever got it again was a shoe that is too soft that they created a running shoe that we had taught brand that we had talked about before. I wore that in Miami for three days and my Morton's Neuroma from six years ago came back for the first time from these soft shoes and they, they consistently do it. Oh, absolutely. Crocs is literally, I mean, I could practically throw a rock and hit their office from here. And, uh, and um, we have a bunch of ex Crocs people who work for us. And, um, uh, and I used to, my claim to fame has been that I've never worn a pair of Crocs. And I said that publicly somewhere. And I got an email from uh, this woman that I know saying, yes, you have. I went, no, she goes, yes, you have. I've seen you in them. I went, no, she's remember with that improv comedy troupe I was in and we just did a short video and we had you wear a pair of Crocs as a joke. I was like, oh yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> you did that it. doesn't count. You know what they're going to do is they're going to take that video and be like, look, he lived on these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a blackmail video if there ever was one. Yeah, when it's on the internet, man, it's forever. Uh, <laughs> the problem, but again, like think about an athlete who's just tried to create so much cutting stability and explosion through their right. feet constantly on their feet. And then they go get in this shoe 
and they just like take away everything that they just worked on and they create yeah. so many problems. And I'm. Well, the, one of the problems that I just thought of, you got a big padded shoe. And if you are doing lateral motion, I mean, talk about, you know, setting yourself up for valgus. I mean, holy crap. Right. You're going to be putting crazy ass torque and joints that are not designed for that because you just don't have the stability to begin with. Yep. And I think the basketball shoe is an awesome idea. And I think that's something that would is, it needs to be it's, done. It definitely does. Kobe did a video years ago saying, here's what the ultimate basketball should look, basketball shoe should look like. And he described what we do. Yeah. Um, and then what Nike did with that is they just made a low top version of the same crap that they were already doing. Yeah. You know, well, my first dunk was in Kobe's. So it'd be great to have <laughs> my, my 30 year old best dunk to be in zeros. So we'll get that. To, I'll get that video out there for you. Yeah. You know, at five, five dunking is not on, on the agenda, um, but I've still got a crazy vertical. So, um, and even better, you know, if, if you want to set up a box, so I'm 65 inches, I've jumped onto a 60 inch box. Now, granted, a lot of that's also hip flexibility. I'm not going to, not going to lie. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah, my knees are way over my head, so, <laughs> uh, but you know, I get up there and it's pretty entertaining. I actually, I watched this video yesterday that was showing there's a strong correlation between just, you know, how high you can bounce and how fast you are. It's like, Oh, I'm one, I'm a bouncer, but I'm also you know 60 and it's annoying because I said to this, this coach that I'm going to be working with, I said, I just want to see how much faster I can get before I just inevitably start getting slower because there's no way around it. I just want to, as long as I can make all American times, I don't care that they're getting, that they're getting bigger. Um, I just want to be hitting those times. Well, I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. The speed and the bounce that's, that's completely correlated for me. It was never that I wasn't fast or I couldn't jump high. It was because I was unstable in my feet and my ankles and yep. I couldn't activate because I would jump and I would hit the rim right here. And then randomly I would jump and hit the rim right here. So if yeah. you're losing this much distance and you're, you, you're trying to dunk on people, like I would get rim checked and then I would murder a dunk and there'd be no consistency. And I would not be like, what's, and I would think, Oh, it's just my ankles and all this. Well, once I got more solid shoes, and I yeah. started playing that. I'm more consistent. Like I, and again, I go back to dunking on a vertical because not taking a step forward, not doing that, no dorsi, not a great dorsiflexion in my ankles due to all the degenerative change and being able to just jump straight up. Like that is something that I didn't ever expect to do in my life. And I yeah. was just standing at lifetime the other day and I just stood up and went like this and I went, Oh crap. And <laughs> I thought, all right, so this could, this could be my future again. No, I'm not, I'm not going to run back <laughs> that route. But it was it was one of those things for me. Like I had my my eye opening thing. I knew I could run in them. I knew I could lift in them. I knew I could do those things. Yeah. But as soon as I saw something that is I've been working on since I was six years old, and it, it or even before then, saw a change in something like that just from wearing these shoes elsewhere and not practicing it, and it affected yeah. that in my sport. Well, you know, there's so many six year olds who can slam it. I can't believe you couldn't back then. <laughs> I mean, I was riding on a horse. I'm from the country, man. So when you ride by on a horse and you don't, I'm not kidding. We played horse on horses because oh. we had no concrete. And my parents made me practice in gravel and grass. And you want to be a good shooter, shoot at a goal that's at 10 and a half feet and you're never on a stable surface. I was the best shooter in the area. That's awesome. You know, I just realized the only time that I ever even uh, came close to the rim um, was with a mini tramp. So, you know, all those gymnasts, we throw a mini tramp out there and just do flip dunks and, you know, all this crazy stuff. That was really fun. Yeah. I actually got hurt doing that one time. So <laughs> you weren't a gymnast. <laughs> That's right. Like there's, there's issues. And if I ever, whenever I do CrossFit gymnastics is always my weakness. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. We had one guy on our team who was six one. It was amazing watching him because it's, you know, he just looked like 
he didn't belong in the gym and um, he was really good. He was also just this, this is a total tangent for the hell of it. He's one of these insanely good all around athletes. When Reebok started doing their fittest man in, the, in, in America competition, he won it like three years in a row. But by the second year, they stopped covering him during the competition because he was just so boring to watch. He just like did everything. No expression <laughs> on his face, just cranked it out and crushed everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, Stephen, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it, man. I had a blast. Um, I'm excited. Thank you again for just creating this shoot. Thank uh, you for your mission uh, on this because my mission again is injury prevention and surgery prevention. And you've already helped me prevent. I mean, we're over 50 uh, surgeries prevented with runners and lifters and different things already. And your shoe has been a valuable tool in the process. So thank you so much for this. Well, again, um, it's just a pleasure hearing stories like that. And um, and I wish I want to have more. There was a guy that I met who said, well, I have plantar fasciitis, so I can't wear your shoes. I went, uh, and I looked at him. I said, I don't think you have plantar fasciitis. He goes, what? I said, just a hunch. I mean, I knew he just had tight calves. I could just see it. I yeah. said, can you, can you stand on your toes? He said, yeah. I said, can you just stand on your toes and just bounce back and forth? He goes, yeah. I said, does that hurt? He goes, no. I said, can you just bounce back and forth and then lean forward? He starts running. He goes, God damn. I went, yeah, you don't have plantar fasciitis. You've just been wearing the wrong shoes. And, and he didn't believe me, even though I just proved it to him and went and had surgery anyway. I want to prevent oh. things like that because it's just like, it, it just makes no sense in my brain. No, this, my, okay. So my problem with surgery is if you can avoid it, you should. And the surgery is there for a certain place. Like you can't, you're not for everybody. I'm not for everybody. Some people need a surgery. Yeah, but absolutely. If you can prevent it, you should. And if it's a partial, prevent it. And the point about the plantar fasciitis, there's the most, most overdiagnosed things in the world. As soon as someone points to their foot, the ortho says, that's plantar fasciitis. We're going to inject it. You're going to not use it. I want you to wear this brace at night. Yeah. And yeah. it goes to the process to surgery. And you know what? Half the time, it's the great toe flexor anyway. And they just have no control or stability and they're overloading. And as soon as they use their legs and feet properly, yeah, pain's gone. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is, un you know, I talked to a podiatrist the other day on my podcast and she said uh, two things that blew me away. One is, Actually, well, one really big one. She's, um, we had one class about footwear. I don't mean like a semester of, I mean, one class. And it, and the whole class was, uh, here's the kind of shoe that'll fit the orthotic best. Yep, yep. Oh man, there was, uh, there was I, ooh, I have to be careful how I say this because of where I speak. Um, but there was a podiatrist speaking somewhere that um, I went to listen to and it was a feed. The whole class was built on, uh, I think it was uh, the halysis and functional gait pattern is what it was called. I was like, I'm gonna love this. This is gonna be my favorite. So I went in and it became a feed to these orthotics and heel lifts that you can get people in. And this is how you get them in the right one. Look, look at how here your heel comes up. Wear this, this is not gonna happen. And I was just sitting back there just, holding my mouth, not really holding my mouth. I have one of the docs with me and he was like, both shut up because I was the whole time. I just kept like just trashing what this was saying because it was not functional. It was not built in human biomechanics and it was yeah. built in feeding. And right at the end, or like, cause he did it for 20 minutes. So not right at the end, he brings out his orthotics and these different things that are going to help these people. And I was like, there it is. That's exactly what this whole thing was about right here. It's the sales. Yeah. Um, uh, look, we can, I, I, we were trying to wrap it up, but now we're on a little tangent, but I got to do this one. I was at the International Foot and Ankle Biomechanics Summit, and uh, there's a guy there who's like the you know top orthotics guy in the country, and he puts on our Prio, our, our kind of fitness everything shoe, and um, he's, wow, these feel really good. You know, I'm going to walk around. Um, tell me how I look in these without my orthotics in. And I said, well, how do you feel? He's fine. I said, well, then what I'm going to say is meaningless, but I'll tell you anyway. 
your right foot pronates a little bit more when you're not wearing your orthotic, but you didn't notice it. And what that means is it's a strength issue. So if you keep wearing these, you're going to build that strength and everything will be cool. He walks up to Irene Davis, who is the, the godmother of minimalist footwear. She's done more research and helped more people do more research than anyone else. And he comes up to her uh, kind of tongue in cheek and says, you know, I really like these shoes. I'm going to put my orthotics in it. And he's kind of ribbing her and she goes, that's cool. But then after like a few weeks, uh, shave it down a little bit. And then a few weeks more, shave it down some more. And a few weeks more, shave it down again and then get rid of it and see how you feel. He's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Why, why take something that's making you walk normal and put something that makes you not walk not normal? Yeah. I mean, sometimes like what we do uh, with gait and biomechanics and everything is pretty straightforward. Like your body is supposed to do this, do this. Like stop adding all these adaptions and changes. Why did I break my ankle so many times? Because I was told to wear an ankle brace all the time. Like I was constantly in an ankle brace. I was weak. I was weak. Be stronger. You know, um, when I was getting injured as a, uh, a new sprinter or new again sprinter, um, this one coach that I bumped into, he said, how much can you deadlift? Now I weighed 140 at the time. He, I said, I don't know, like 250. He goes, call me when you're over 300 pounds. I was like, what? And I'd never really deadlifted before. So when I said 240, I was probably pulling it out of my butt. Um, but then, you know, I, I put 240 on a bar and that was, I had no problem pulling that. And so it didn't take long to get to 300. And a lot of my injuries went away. And he says, yeah, you know, strength is key. When you get over, when you get to three times your body weight, that's when things get really interesting. And the first time I pulled 400, of course, I was terrified the first time I did it. And then, you know, it came off the ground. It's like, wow, check that out. I never bothered trying to go to 450 um, because I knew that then I'd want to go to 500 and there was no reason for that. And I'm just competitive that way. So I decided to back off. But, um, you know, strength solves a lot of problems. And that's the, that's the key. So we have a barbell and our clinic, we have kettlebells, we have the system set up so we can show them their improper movements and at what load that they, they lose control in. Oh, so that's cool. Yeah. So like if you're at a 225 and you look good, but you go to 255 on a back squat, all of a sudden you have a rotation. We're going to stop you at a certain level and say gain control of this and then continue yeah. your move up. Well, um, that's, that's, a, that's advanced rehab. Like we yeah. have to start with these lower level symptomatic stuff just to get you out of pain in the first couple of days. But then we're getting you to, and I'm always like giving you a body weight functional move that connects your foot to your head that utilizes your shoulders and your hips for your foot. And once you get control of this, I'm giving you load. And once you load up, if you could, my, what I tell every patient is, look, if you can at least be as strong as yourself, just be able, because most people can't squat their body weight or deadlift their body weight. If you can squat or deadlift your body weight, you can now move two of you because you're already moving one of you. And if you get tired now, you're now just as strong as your own body to move it normally. So yeah. the three times, you mean, yeah, man, I'm all about it. I'm trying to push as much as I can. Then I'm competitive too. And I'm trying to, I was just deadlifting. My left grip gave out before my deadlift gave out. And I was super pissed about it. But yeah, like push it all, all you do, as long as you do it right. Okay. Then, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to issue a challenge to you. Yeah. So how do you do on the Nordic hamstring curl? Oh, terrible. Um, super bad. I'm, I'm terrible at those. Dr. Brennan and I do those in, uh, in the rehab area all the time. So you got to work that one. The other day I was curious and um, I hadn't, I, I mean, first of all, again, it's an older guy. Uh, and sometimes I'll just say old guy, cause that's fun. Um, I, I just need way more recovery than I ever thought I did. So I, you know, a lot of times if I'm doing real serious, you know, CNS kind of stuff or something that's putting a lot of stress on my body. I can only do it once a week. So I'm, I'm doing Nordic hamstring and curls like once a week, maybe every two weeks. The other day it had, it had been about a month. I don't know why I just hadn't done them. And I, I, I got in there and I went, let's see how, what I can do all the way down, all the way back. I, went, I felt good. 
I did a set of five. So I'm 60, babe. So that's your challenge. I'm going to, I'm going to blame my long legs. I'm just kidding. No, it's the, um, I, I, I definitely need to work on those and we do work on them. Um, but yeah, so Nordics, that's, that's one of our rehab exercises, honestly. It's, it's like, so good. We give those to people all the time because now they're moving their ankles. They're utilizing posterior chain and they're using the whole thing. Um, yeah. but, but long, that that's great. I like that you, you challenged me on that one. So we're going to, when I run back to you, I'm going to come bring back a high number. Now you're going to set my goal and I'm going to give you 10 uh, Nordics and send you a video. Well, and I will give you this. I'll have to make a video the next time I do it. I'll do it this weekend probably. Um, so I've got a little bit of a hip bend. I don't try to stay totally straight, just a no. little bit of a hip bend. Um, and then it's like, you know, nose hits the ground, come back. And, um, and that little hip bend, I've tried like flat off the ground and then from the ground up, um, which I can do, but that's harder. So right. just, you know, when you have that tension from the way down that from that eccentric, it does help on the way back. And we had nothing but slack. Boy, that's a bitch to get out of the hole. And I, I like, I actually like the hip load personally, cause we, I like loading the hips a little bit. Um, and yeah. as long as you're not loading lumbar, it's like, it's the perfect yeah. thing to do. Yeah. So, all right. So that's the challenge next time we'll, we'll, uh, we'll duke it out. Okay, we're gonna say we're gonna do an online Nordic <laughs> challenge. <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. That'll be, well, be a great one. I'm sure people, people, are, my patients would love to see me cramp up and go down hard. So uh, with myofascial therapy, they think it's payback time for me. They're all about me getting pain <laughs> and getting beat. They like to see me get beat by people all the time. So I don't know what it is. Thanks, Pleasure, Matt. Bro. I really thanks appreciate so having you. It was great having you. You're a great guest. And again, thanks for everything that you do. And we're gonna continue to push our patients to you guys. Much appreciated.